0: Welcome back to Athens' favorite history podcast. Is this too niche? We're your hosts. I'm Zoe. And I'm Drita. And this week we are doing kind of a part two. I'm revisiting the fairy tale and folklore episode that I did last season, cause that one you guys liked a lot and I did also. But I wanted to do kind of a twist where I wanna discuss fairy tales more in the feminist lens. So um, yeah. So first thing that we're gonna do on this episode is discuss the responses from last week's Spotify question. Which Mm -hmm. was, which Barbie would you be? So, uh, my personal favorite response was from Abby. She said she'd be Depression Barbie. So, um... Abby, I need to check in on you, so first real. of all. <laughs> Second of all, let's get 1995 Pride and Prejudice on the big screen right now.
1: My favorite response, other than Abby's, because I love Abby's mm-hmm. response, and Maya, honestly. Evie, I almost called you Charlene, because that's her country name. <laughs> Evie said she got Alan, and I love that. That's I iconic. think that's the best one, honestly. Yeah, I love that. And I think that matches her personality very well.
0: So... If you are an OG fan, you probably remember the episode that I did called Fairy Tales and Folklore or something, something yes. like that. I don't remember. I think it was the other way called? around, well, whatever. you know what i are talking about. And it was one of my favorite episodes to do research for, so I wanted to do a follow-up, but I wanted to focus it a bit more. And so this week, we're going to be discussing fairy tales from a feminist lens. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was some early pieces of what I guess you could call literature that kind of set the standard for the way that we in the Western world view women and which definitely influences the way that fairy tales and stories about women depict us. Yep. So first of all, we're going to be talking about Adam and Eve Mm -hmm. from Genesis. Oh my gosh. I know. There's a lot to unpack here. I'm going to keep it pretty simple, but (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts on this. Why
1: why did that not come to my head when you said you were doing this topic? Like, I feel like that's the basic. The basis to like all of what we sh- would have been talking yeah, about. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy.
0: So, according to Genesis, Eve was created from the rib of Adam. Right off the bat, the idea of Eve being a part of Adam establishes her as subservient and less than Adam himself. Mm-hmm. Next up, Eve did the one thing that she was instructed not to do, which was listen to the serpent and entice Adam to eat the forbidden fruit. This is obviously an allegory for sex eve is meant to be like tempting to adam or whatever because he can't control himself because he's a man Mm -mm. according to the way that you're supposed to interpret the bible the serpent is not to blame nor is adam even though he's the one who ate the apple in the first place (laughs) it's eve because she was the one who listened to the serpent and gave adam the apple which i think is okay i'm not trying to get it canceled for being anti-christian but when you think about this from a sexual lens it kind of perpetuates the idea that women are sexual temptresses and that men are unable to control themselves yeah and
1: it's the women's
0: and at the end of the day eve is blamed for the fall of man which believe it or not actually has such a hold on the way that like we view women today and through history so i'm mad about it okay let me be mad about it
1: rightfully so
0: yeah so in as punishment god curses eve to be subordinate to adam and this is a quote from genesis 3:16. i don't know how you're supposed to say like bible verses i'll be real but this is a quote from genesis this is what god says to eve he says i will make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor you will give birth to children your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you and that was the punishment of eve jewish and christian teachings both hold that eve is at fault for the fall of man and since eve is supposed to be the first woman and the ancestor to all women this means that all women also have this fault within them so all women must be subordinate to men so i love that for us but yep on a more positive note the islamic scripture actually holds that both adam and eve were equally at fault for the fall of man so there's something a little you know better view of that yeah so even earlier than judeo-christian traditions we have the myth of pandora's box which is kind of the same vibe it uh portrays female sexuality as dangerous irrational and the cause of everything bad in the world because the box is supposed to be the womb and also pandora like couldn't control her curiosity and she opened the box and so she's at fault for all of mankind's suffering which is ridiculous yeah because guess who gave her that box in the first place <laughs> Zeus, I think if I'm remembering correctly. So why would you why would you give someone that box? This that's the thing. like like the, that's stupid
1: the opposite way with Adam and Eve yeah, like.
0: a little bit. So I'm going to jump way into the uh, future from what I was just talking about, and this is a segment, I kind of split my notes up into segments here because it just made more sense to me this time. So I'm going to be talking about violence against women in fairy tales and the Grimm Brothers specifically. Ooh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I get into a little bit of that in Jada's corner today.
0: So fairy tales didn't really have a traceable origin. We know that for ages and ages, women shared stories by word of mouth. Folklore and fairy tales were never really codified, they were more cultural and malleable, until the 1700s and 1800s when authors began to record and publish fairy tales. When we hear the word fairy tales, we usually think of Hans Christian Andersen and the Brothers Grimm, but it was actually a group of French women in the 17th century that popularized and codified fairy tales. In 1790, Baroness Marie-Catherine d'Olnoy coined the term fairy tale and published multiple feminist folk stories, one of which detailed the fairy queen Felicite, who dumped her suitor because he cared more about fame than he did about her, which was pretty progressive and forward-thinking for the time. In the 18th century of France, when conservatism was big and popular, women would gather in literary salons and recite d'Olnoy's stories, which usually critiqued contemporary issues such as arranged marriage and would often reverse gender rules. Most of the time, fairy tale collections were targeted towards children, where fairy tales were meant to push morals upon the audience. I'd like you to keep this in mind because the Grimm brothers were problems. <laughs> capital yes, capital they were. P problems. They dismissed Illinois' stories and took fairy tales which were meant to socialize children and stripped them of their whimsy and wholesomeness in favor of violence and sexual themes. All while they still insisted that their fairy tales were in fact meant for all ages, children included. (laughs) Wow. Let's discuss their take, for instance, on the classic tale of Rapunzel. Oh my gosh, this is what I'm talking about today. so in the original tale of rapunzel the prince stays in rapunzel's tower for a few days while the godmother is away and i'm sure you can guess what ensues when the godmother returns she notes that rapunzel's clothes seem to have gotten tighter on her this is an allusion to the fact that rapunzel is probably pregnant but the Grimm brothers did not like the idea of rapunzel having sexual autonomy and having the freedom to have premarital sex so they just ditched the whole plot line which is pretty hypocritical of them because they had no qualms against depicting extremely graphic and sometimes sexual violence against women. It's just that they had an issue with women being comfortable in their own sexualities. Mm. Mm-hmm. Folklorist Ruth B. Bodingheimer cataloged the differences between the original versions of fairy tales and the Grimm Brothers alterations to them. She noted that very minor details actually contribute a great deal to the perpetuation, perpetuation of gender roles. For instance, she notes that in Hansel and Gretel, the brother Hansel is the more vocal of the pair. He often shushes his sister, making her subservient to him. Bottingheimer also notes that female characters who are often desirable to men have the least speaking parts, and female characters that are meant to be villainous are often loud and vocal, which implies that the ideal woman is quiet and complicit. So why was violence against women so prevalent in fairy tales? I would argue that this is a very nuanced and layered topic, and it likely stems from a very long tangent that I'm about to go on, because during the agricultural revolution back in prehistoric times, women became less useful as civilization began to enslave people to do their labor. Not only this, but with a surplus of food, we have a resulting surplus of people, because women were popping out babies left and right, because they had the resources to do so. The concept of inheritance came about as more people were being born, and this is where problems in. In order to ensure inheritance, they had to instate monogamy. And in order to ensure monogamy, men had to become subservient to men, specifically to their husbands. So this was enforced through violence. So that's kind of a brief explanation as to why gender roles have formed the way that they did and why violence is used against women to keep them submissive. And since fairy tales would have reflected the realities of the time, early oral folk stories would have depicted such gender roles and they would have only evolved from there. All in all, fairy tales often serve to teach children morals and socializations. So of course they would have been taught that women must be submissive and men must be dominant. This was done through depictions of violence and we will look into that a bit, but I first wanna go on a side tangent about the sensationalization of violence against women, because that definitely does come into play when we see the like crazy graphic descriptions that um, happen in fairy tales, specifically like with the Brothers Grimm. Yeah. So I'm gonna be talking about the Marquis de Sade and Jack the Ripper. So you might be more familiar of the two names with Jack the Ripper. In November of 1888, five prostitutes in Whitechapel, London, were murdered, all in an identical manner. News outlets immediately took to the papers and speculation and chaos ensued. The anonymous serial killer was named Jack the Ripper and to this day we recognize the nickname and yet we don't recognize the name of the women he murdered. A string of serial murders shook London and news outlets jumped on the chance to cover the events. The detailing of these murders, however, was very heavily sensationalized and lacked a lot of empathy. Many news outlets reported gruesome details. For instance, one of the victim's faces was, quote, stained with blood and her throat cut from ear to ear, end quote. Readers had a morbid fascination with this occurrence, and yet news outlets often expressed apathy towards the actual victims, and many explicitly blamed the victims for putting themselves in the vulnerable position of being prostitutes, as if that was really a choice back then
1: which is also like a universal experience
0: yes not only are prostitutes victim blamed but like every woman is victim blamed for anything that happens to her which is awesome the other name that i mentioned you might be less familiar with but this is crazy he'll be important later on but i'm going to introduce you to him now his name is marquis de Sade, and he lived between 1740 and 1814 he was a famous philosopher and author and a lot of his novels are kind of erotic in a crazy way. His novels coined the term sadist, meaning a person who derives pleasure, often sexual, from inflicting pain on others. So, the Marquis de Sade was very popular in France, like I said, for his work in philosophy and for his erotic writings, and even recently, in 2017, the French state declared his work to be a national treasure. But, back in 1786, he was found guilty of sodomy, rape, torturing a 36 year old woman imprisoning six children in his chateau and poisoning five (laughs) prostitutes and that's not even everything that he's done he did so much more so he spent most of his life in and out of prisons and asylums but his actions are very deeply disturbing especially based on how influential his work is so i'm going to now go through just a few just two classic fairy tales and discuss them through a feminist lens and I want you to keep in mind that fairy tales, especially these, were meant to socialize children and teach them how to behave and how to perceive the world. So you should be aware of that while I discuss this. So first we have Briar Rose, yeah. which is the Grim Brothers' name for what we know as Sleeping Beauty. So in the Grimm Brothers' version of this tale, a princess is born and the king and queen throw a feast but they can only invite 12 out of the 13 wise women or fairy godmothers because they only have 12 plates, which is like a stupid predicament to be in (laughs) in the first place. You're a king and queen. Like, what do you mean you only have 12 plates? That's
1: me when I don't want someone
0: to come over. I only have 12 12 plates. Sorry. So right after the 11th fairy godmother bestows her gift on the princess, the 13th that was uninvited barges in and curses the princess to die at 15 by pricking her finger. We all know the story. (laughs) However, Which is so goofy. I know, like... <laughs> what she had nothing to do with this if you're mad (laughs) take it out of the king and queen however the 12th godmother had not yet given the princess a gift so she alters the curse so that the princess won't die but will instead sleep for 100 years and then wake up at the end of that time
1: my dream reality
0: (laughs) (laughs) from there of course we know that the princess pricks her finger falls asleep and 100 years later a prince shows up and non-consensually kisses her which wakes her up the bat we see a problem in that the female protagonist is meant to be naive and helpless She is not informed of the curse and is thus not in control of her own fate. Her body and her fate become the property of the prince because the story implies that she owes him since she saved him. So she marries him. The virtues bestowed on her by the godmothers are also qualities that would make her desirable to men, including beauty, wealth, and virtue. And this sends the message that from birth, women are supposed to do things that make them liked by men. That's supposed to be our goal. Yeah. Which is cute. There's a lot there. So now what (laughs) if I told you... That Sleeping Beauty is actually derived from an older and worse tale originating in Italy. I believe you. This is from the 1600s. An Italian poet named Giambattista Basile wrote Sun, Moon, and Talia. In this story, a sleeping princess named Talia is raped by a passing king, and then months later, she gives birth to his children named Sun and Moon. In the end, she has to marry him. Uh. What messages is this supposed to send to women and to children and specifically to boys? It says that they're entitled to women's bodies. It also perpetuates the issue of the time period wherein marital rape was a common occurrence and in fact it wasn't even illegal and it was believed that the woman was the property of her husband. Mm -hmm. So the last one I wanted to go into in this segment is Snow White... We're familiar with the general story, I'm sure, but I think that this one specifically is overlooked for its misogyny. Like, it is in every aspect of this story. Yeah. And I always knew, obviously, like, the prince kissing her was weird, you know, stuff like that. But, like, it's way deeper in this story than I picked up on, I guess, as a child.
1: Yeah, which is understandable.
0: Yeah. So, of course, the story starts with the queen who dies in childbirth. Her daughter, Snow White, becomes the most beautiful girl in the land snow white's father remarries and her stepmother is jealous of snow white's beauty which is weird you're a grown woman yeah that is a child be normal (laughs) the stepmother sends a huntsman to kill snow white also crazy but her beauty makes him feel bad for her and he lets her go right there is the first issue because it suggests that the value of a woman is determined by her beauty yep and the fact that the huntsman was willing to let her go not out of empathy or because he saw value in her life but because she was beautiful to him and that's the only value that was there yeah which is really cool snow white flees and encounters a cottage with seven dwarves they agree to provide her shelter only if she cooks and cleans for them so there we go conditioning girls to know that that's their duty that's what they're supposed to be doing that's our second strike next up the stepmother sends two more attempts to kill snow white both of which are stopped by the dwarves Finally, Snow White chokes on a poisoned apple and the dwarves believe her to be dead. She's put in a casket and her body is given to a passing prince. Just super weird. That's the fourth strike because this perfectly and ironically demonstrates the idea that women don't have autonomy over their own bodies. The prince mistakenly jars the casket which unlodges the chunk of poisoned apple from Snow White's throat and saves her life. (laughs) To which she responds by marrying him and sending the stepmother to her death.
1: That's a correct response.
0: (laughs) I agree. I mean, the stepmother was in the wrong, but I think the fact that the Grimm brothers portrayed the stepmother to be so like conniving and obsessed with beauty and everything which super like it makes sense from
1: what the um the whole thing about beauty being the only thing that women should want and then the villains which is kind of what i'm gonna talk about a little bit the way that they look the no i'm gonna talk about that too but okay. the way that they most of them are driven by yeah. their want for beauty yeah like just because, and it's of... like
0: who is making us want beauty it's yeah the patriarchy and it's men and the male gaze yeah he's <laughs> so lip? cute yeah for real so yeah really really cool and awesome okay i have one more segment before we're gonna head over to jada's corner hmm. This is a little mini segment that kind of doesn't relate necessarily 100% to fairy tales, but it kind of has some overlap there, so I'm going to talk about it anyways. So I could do a whole episode on feminist lit, but I just want to spend a moment discussing some common tropes, archetypes, motifs, etc. that we see in fairy tales and writing related to women, because I think it's fascinating and I think it adds some depth to this topic, and I hope that while you're reading, you can like pick these things out, because it's kind of fun. I mean, it's not fun to... See misogyny but it's like you know fun to analyze media so one big trope that we find in media is the predator archetype which usually comprises of a male romantic interest who has questionable or ambiguous morals we see him in the fairy tale bluebeard which i'm going to discuss later but we also see him in modern media for instance edward cullen could fit into Whoa. the predator archetype sorry to Whoa. twilight fans. i apologize i'm team
1: edward no
0: i am team edward as opposed to team jacob but i mean if the shoe fits <laughs> anyways uh. the predator archetype quote makes easy prey of women who have been trained since infancy to be nice end quote unfortunately the predator archetype is so normalized that we often glorify these men without realizing that they are in fact predators yeah Another common trope we see, of course, is the damsel in distress, which serves to suggest that women are helpless, not in control of their own lives, naive, and a man usually has to save them.
1: How about every Disney movie ever?
0: Uh-huh, no, exactly. I also want to talk about the uh, archetype of the witch really quick. Um, I wrote a whole essay about this last semester, so I'm not going to get too into it because I could go on for hours. Witches, as a concept, became villainized- Heavily in the Renaissance period, especially when political and religious unrest became prominent, as women began to rebel against the fates promised to them by the patriarchy, men be- men felt threatened and needed a way to stomp out the stirrings of independent womanhood. Thus, the witch hunt began. Artists like Albrecht Dürer and Hans Balding Green devoted their art to depicting witches as nude, sexually promiscuous women who were sometimes tricking men or conducting conjurings or deals with the devil. Sometimes these witches were shown to be elderly women, and the idea of a nude woman or an elderly woman was frightening because these witches had autonomy over their bodies and their sexualities, and if women were able to truly achieve this autonomy, the patriarchy would simply be done for. And that just can't happen. No. <laughs> but it influenced life and vice versa, and thus thousands of women were bu- brutally murdered as witches during this time. To this day, we still see the evil witch trope in fairy tales as in media, usually as a lonely old woman like in Hansel and Gretel, mm-hmm. because men fear and fear powerful women who don't rely on men. On the topic of dark and twisted tropes, <laughs> I want to briefly discuss the use of cannibalism in media, which is one of my <laughs> favorite tropes, and I know that makes me sound crazy, <laughs> but
1: crazy.
0: usually it re- it relates to the nature of womanhood as one of being consumed, which is something really interesting, I think. Yeah, we are we are commercialized, we are objectified and we are consumed by men in the male gaze, you know. So a lot of times when cannibalism is used in uh, media, it serves to like highlight that. Like, for instance, in Yellow Jackets, it's an all female um, soccer team. And so it's, like, really symbolic when the first one to die and be eaten is a woman. Yeah. Because it says a lot about the nature of womanhood.
1: That's interesting, especially I, I read the book Bones and all, mm-hmm. and I w- saw the movie, too. And I'm, I'm not gonna... I can't say what I'm thinking. I know what happens, but... but people will say... Yeah, no, that's true. Don't. And I'm like, that... Maybe that was, like, that it was the end of the movie. Maybe that's, like going a different direction. yeah like retribution
0: like, almost yeah like taking like oh. taking over the narrative yeah yeah and it doesn't 100 percent of the time have to relate to like being objectified and, and consumed yeah. but like in uh, a lot of times when it has to yeah. do with like women specifically i that's, like that's how you can read it
1: I like when I can't express my thoughts and then you say exactly what I wanted to say.
0: Because we're, like, connected. Great minds think alike. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, though, because I'm not very good with
1: my words. (laughs) No,
0: yes, you are. Yes, you are.
1: I'm I'm an artist. I do
0: pictures. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to use a really good example of the cannibalism trope. And if you guys are friends with me right now, you're going you're gonna to be rolling your eyes because I have been nonstop talking about this.
1: Cannibalism in general, which is kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Ethel Cain, guys. <laughs> guys, I'm sorry. I had to. I had like I was sitting here trying to figure out a way to do an episode where I could talk about Ethel Cain and I was like, you yeah, know what? I'm going to do it here. I'm going to do it now. Yeah, this is so a good time. if you know me, she's one of my top artists on Spotify and I will not shut up about her. So her real name is Hayden but I'm going to be using the name Ethel Kane because that's the name of her character mm-hmm. that she embodies in her albums. So her album Preacher's Daughter tells the story of her alter ego, like I said, Ethel Kane, who is a trans woman raised in a very religious atmosphere in Alabama in the 90s. And her life is shaped by intergenerational trauma, religious trauma, love, sexuality, sexual violence, etc. Two of the songs in this album make really interesting use of common like tale esque tropes in media surrounding women. In her song, Family Tree, which represents the act of breaking free of the bounds of intergenerational trauma, she sings, take me down to the river and bathe me clean, put me on the back of your white horse and ride all the way to the chapel. And this obviously brings about the image of the male savior coming to rescue the female like the damsel in distress, bring her to the chapel, you know, images of marriage also like purity there like just there's there's a lot to unpack there and i think that it was cool how like she kind of brought a fairy tale image into that is cool into this um and as you might be familiar with the male character that she's referring to in this line is the character logan and he's not really all that great so you know there's a lot to there's a lot of layers there so i'm gonna jump to discuss her the last song on her album Also, if you're interested in hearing more of my thoughts about this album, just come to me personally, because I could (laughs) go for hours. But the last song on the album, Strangers, relates to a different male character named Isaiah, who has kidnapped Ethel Kane and kind of prostituted her out a bit. Like, there's a lot going on there, but in the... Last song, he has killed Ethel, and we now hear Ethel's voice from the perspective of her body as she is being cannibalized by Isaiah. What? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. The lyrics read, "Freezer bride, your sweet divine, you devour like smoked bovine hide. How funny, I never consider myself tough because Ethel has lost autonomy over her body and herself, and she's being cannibalized, mm-hmm. which is just simply the way that women exist." Because whether we like it or not, there are moments where we are just consumed by men, by the male gaze, by the patriarchy, etc., And I just think that Ethel Kane is a genius. That is genius. And I had to go off on a little tangent because I'm obsessed with her. Yeah, so I just want to go off on a tangent there. It's not really related to uh, fairy tales, but I had to. I think that relates in... Okay, well, it relates in my mind. Because
1: she's kind of writing her own story.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. There you go. Finally, I want to discuss the monstrous woman trope. Two of my friends have taken a class in this topic, so I won't be able to get into it as much as I would have liked. I want to take that class, but nonetheless... The concept of the monstrous woman is very similar to the concept of the witch... Wherein she is rejected by men because she is abject. She stands for everything that is the opposite of what the patriarchy wants women to be. A good example would be Jennifer's Body. You mm, know. Jennifer, yeah. I still haven't seen that movie, but like we I know so much about <laughs> it that I'm just like Yeah, that's how I it's am. a woman who eats men. Yeah. Also, cannibalism. It's kind of flipping the script there. Yeah. Because she's doing the eating. Yeah. You know, she's We need to watch that. I agree. We'll do it on like for yeah. Halloween. I also want to watch Carrie really, really bad. Me I want too. to watch Carrie. Okay. Uh we also see the monstrous woman represented as werewolves vampires castrators even the idea of the monstrous womb so Mm -hmm. yeah, there's that i'll leave you with that to think on so on that note i've been talking for a very long time i'm gonna pass the torch over to jada and yeah
1: yay (laughs) (laughs) welcome to jada's corner um, I was really excited for this week's mm-hmm. episode, but I also was just a little bit intimidated by it just because of how many directions I yeah, could, I could take Yeah, it's a very big topic. Yeah, so I was a little intimidated, but I decided to cover Disney just because I grew up watching Disney, mm-hmm. as a lot of us did. And I've never looked at it with a feminist point of view or even like a grown-up point of view because, mm-hmm. you know, you grow up and you're not really like analyzing anything. And it did not disappoint. I'm specifically... Gonna talk about the villains in the Disney universe because Zoe talked a little bit about Disney in general with the princesses Mm -hmm. and stuff, so... There are a lot of villains, so hopefully you are familiar enough to connect the characters I'll be mentioning. You, you, know, the, you know the drill. Mm-hmm. Look it up if you don't know. So one of the most prevalent themes regarding villains is the fact that they express non-traditional beauty standards. With villains like Ursula, the Queen of Hearts, Stinky Pete from Toy Story, the one evil guy from Pocahontas, they are all portrayed as fat people. And it doesn't even stop there. Characters like LeFou and Smee, who are kind of sidekicks, to villains and are like the dumb versions of the villains are also portrayed as fat
0: even in like teen disney like the shows the side character was always fat and that was always the butt of like every joke yeah was that like he's fat he's ugly he's stupid he's lazy etc and it's like kids are watching this guys like kids of all body types are watching this yeah and they're all interpreting it And they're, you know, like, it has an effect. It sends me
1: into eternal rage. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So overall,
1: Disney is pushing negative stereotypes towards fat people. And even if you were to argue that children don't pick up on things like that, it's not true at all. Mm-hmm. One thing I learned in psychology is that children see in a very baseline way, which which makes sense that they have not had enough life experience to deeply analyze mm-hmm. a person. They are going to see a fat villain or character see that they are portrayed as bad or mm-hmm. scary. And now there's a correlation in their little heads. Mm-hmm. And even further, the Disney princesses are predominantly white, skinny girls. Especially like impossibly skinny
0: yeah like like the proportions are crazy
1: oh my god it sends
0: me into such yeah. a rage that like
1: i feel like i'm gonna scream <laughs> right now disney doing this is actively playing into a systemic issue with the standards of beauty starting at a young age and even if you are actively preaching body positivity in today's society there's also probably an unconscious bias that has been implanted in you because of media like disney
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is crazy mm-hmm. And it was a whole big deal in I think it was 2020 when Disney released its first plus size quote hero in a two-minute short film titled Reflect, huh? Where the main plot line is the main character Bianca's struggle with self-image and I wasn't able to find anywhere where I could watch it. But my take is that why can't fat people just be fat and happy and mm-hmm. why does it have to be tragic? Mm-hmm. You can be fat and healthy, and I just don't think people can come around to believe that or accept that. Mm-hmm. Why do we always have to want to change instead of accepting and loving who we are? Mm-hmm. I don't get it. Like, why does that have to be the the plot line? I don't yeah. get it.
0: I why can't like she just exist as a fat character and not yes. have that be the part of her? Why story, does she want you know? to
1: have to change? Or and I think it's good to have some sort of representation of yeah, but if you're gonna have
0: that representation, representation, we also need to see just fat characters existing yes without that being the main the focus yeah. of yeah their story it's stupid mm-hmm. and no, it,
1: I, it, it quite literally makes me want and to open a ball and die
0: in terms of diversity like netflix and all those you know programs are still working on those kind of things yeah but we don't see even within that diversity we don't see diversity when it comes to yeah. body types very much
1: yeah and even when
0: there's like there's still the like funny fat friend mm-hmm. trope yeah. which is like fat suits and friends for instance, yeah. when they put Monica in a fat suit. Yeah,
1: and even, like, oh my god, who else am I thinking? What in, I'm thinking in Dairy Girls, I only watch, what's, the oh yeah,
0: go? Claire. Yeah, she's kind of, she kind of plays. Yeah, the f- they don't really directly Yeah. make references to her body, but I do think there probably is something there. Yeah, and it's just, like, mm, it's mm-hmm. just, it's just, it's just playing
1: on this, like, um standard that is just like in as a fat person it makes you like feel like you're supposed to be yeah that, like you're supposed to fit into that mm-hmm. which is ridiculous yeah no the majority of female villains are driven by jealousy and as i said before their own search for beauty which mm-hmm. why can't we just be happy why does it have to be a fractured it ideal beauty
0: perpetuates the idea that our goal is to look yeah. pretty especially for men like yeah. that's not we should just be able to exist. I
1: do not get it. I don't get it.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And what there's like nothing like this when it comes to men, like white men. It, there's nothing like that. like they they did not come Yeah, to
0: they that. don't have to search for their beauty, especially yeah. like yeah, no. And not even stopping at
1: the fat phobia, the way that the villains are presented is just outright racist mm-hmm. too. Going back into the systemic issue of beauty standards, the majority of villains have been purposely drawn to have stereotypical ethnic fic- Features mm-hmm. like large noses or dark skin, which is totally normal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One specific example of racism with Disney to start off is Mother Gothel yep. from Tangled, which we mentioned a little bit mm-hmm. about, but who it, Mother Gothel is literally based from the baseline of anti-Semitic stereotypes because of the old story of the blood libel, which historically Jewish people have been accused of using the blood of Christian children for rituals. And this was a stereotype that was literally used by the Nazis as propaganda. Mm-hmm. But no, Rap- Disney's like, oh, this is a good way to take it. <laughs> Rapunzel's story is directly linked to the blood libel through Grimm's fairy tales, which is also loaded with yeah. anti Semitism. But again, it was released in 1812. Tangled came out in 2010. Couldn't we have changed up this racist trope over this 200 years? Yeah, that would have been nice if they No? <laughs> do that. I don't know. What? Yeah. Yeah, many of the Disney villains are also queer coded, and that may feel inclusive, but it's not. It's just homophobic mm-hmm. for similar reasons as the fat phobia and racism. Yep. Just some examples: the villain Ursula in *The Little Mermaid* was based on the late drag queen Divine of *Pink Flamingos* fame. Ursula's fashion, with her eyelashes and extravagant jewelry, was directly inspired by Divine even along with her figure. Mm-hmm. And again, she's put into this villainous yeah. placeholder, and mm-hmm. that's the only queer representation during, like, oh, Yeah. And then also in Pocahontas, the main villain guy, I figured out his name, Ratcliffe, mm-hmm. after a while, I I think that's his name, was fashion obsessed and has stereotypical feminine interest. He was also drawn wearing fuchsia and pink ribbons in his hair, just... Ugh, stereotypes. And during the time, naval life was often mocked as being inherently homosexual because it was a predominantly male naval cruise that didn't get to interact with women for a long stretch of time. So assumptions were made. Mm-hmm. And in Aladdin, the villain Jafar had a weird fixation with the main character Aladdin, as well as how he voiced with he was voiced with sass, and that is the stereotype stereotypically queer-coded thing. Yeah, Not only him being the villain brings a negative connotation, but also can Im- inadvertently relate pedophilia to homosexuality. Yeah. Boo! There are so many other examples, but Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty is the last one that I'm going to mention. Mm-hmm. It was released in 1959, and the way that Hollywood depicted queer characters really influenced Maleficent's character. She is presented as having a hardline masculine figure in severe personality that was a stereotypically again queer coded yeah which overall pisses me off Mm -hmm. it makes me want to punch someone so i do i wish i didn't know all these things maybe a little bit just to hold that like childhood belief that i could be a princess but
0: you can be a princess maybe i want to be a villain that too so it's been a pretty heavy episode i'm gonna end it by talking about one of my favorite authors her name is angela carter she wrote stories and retellings of fairy tales from a feminist lens but she went in deep like there's layers to this tiramisu Tiramisu. (laughs) that was a macklemore reference yeah (laughs) um (laughs) that was off the dome too like i did not have that in the script
1: no and it was ready for like i i picked it up too i heard it thank you
0: um, so I have a collection of her stories and it's called the bloody chamber and other stories. It was published in 1976 and I would recommend, I would recommend that everyone read them because they're really, really, really good. So some background, she was inspired by the fairies of Charles Perrault. I'm going to pretend that that's the right way to pronounce it. He lived in the 18th century and she was also inspired by Marquis de Sade wow yeah i told you i would bring him Full back
1: circle and you'll
0: make the connection in a moment carter's stories often revolved around depictions of female sexuality from a female perspective she had focused on themes of violence and sexual violence gothic themes bioessentialism etc and what was what she did was really interesting because instead of how a lot of authors like to use sci-fi or like futuristic dystopian settings to critique like society she actually used literature from the past to convey social dissonance which i think is interesting it's an interesting interesting way to do it the titular story from the bloody chamber and other stories is a play on the fairy tale bluebeard so i'll give you synopsis of that really quick bluebeard is a character who seduces a young woman and takes her back to his castle at the castle she is given the keys of every room in the castle and Bluebeard Bluebeard tells her to use all but one of the keys. Of course, Curiosity gets the best of her and she uses the forbidden key, only to find that it opens a room filled with the mutilated corpses of Bluebeard's past wives. (laughs) This is a fairy tale, by the way, for children, by the way bluebeard finds out that she found the chamber and she asks one thing she says that she wishes to have enough time to make her peace with god before she meets the same fate as the other wives because in the story she has no option but to you know let bluebeard kill her which is really cool (laughs) so he accepts which gives just enough time for the wife's brothers to come and save her. So the original story is really crazy. It perpetuates the idea, once again, that women are helpless. It's also very b- victim blamey. The original um, version of the story is meant to be interpreted as women shouldn't give in to curiosity because it will only lead to problems, which is like, no. I think the moral of the story should be that men shouldn't kill people and have a torture dungeon <laughs> in their castle, maybe. True. Which is where that connects to Marquis de Sade in his weird chateau where he. Yeah imprisoned children and what not ooh normal yeah super normal behavior but we have Angela Carter and she comes to the rescue because in her version which is called the bloody chamber the female protagonist finds the chamber and tries to plot her escape in the time it takes her to think of men- the- to think up an escape her mother rides in on a horse and shoots Bluebeard saving her daughter oh. which is a much more powerful take on the saving of the female character instead of her being saved by a men she's saved by her brother which is an act of like breaking that intergenerational chain of trauma inflicted by men and the villain in this version isn't the female the woman's curiosity but instead is sadism and uh like heterosexuality and 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 weird men (laughs) so yeah that's kind of all i had to end it there i think that everyone should read angela carter's works and i have a interesting question okay and it's that if you could rewrite any fairy tale like anything at all what fairy tale would you want to rewrite? And you can put like whatever spin you want on it. It doesn't have to be a feminist spin, but I would hope that maybe you get rid of some of the misogynist tropes.
1: Yeah. I recently read a. Well, I've read a few rewritten. Oh my god. Yikes. A few rewritten um, fairy tales. Some bad, some good. Okay. You can go on my Goodreads and find out. I'm not happy about some of them. But <laughs> yikes. Um the i just read one titled spindle i believe and it it was sleeping beauty okay and it was very it was pretty good it was a short book and it had a pretty cover so i read it i I don't remember i don't have any hot takes about it but that was what i um i just wanted to throw that out there yeah um let me think while you answer i have an
0: answer to that question okay i have to think too i'm trying to think of what my favorite fairy tales were as a kid I know. I really love Cinderella, which I think... Okay, I have an answer now. I think
1: I would do Cinderella. I would get rid, rid of Drusella and the sisters, The whatever the other one's name is. I would get rid of them. I love Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And Have you watched Ella Enchanted? I have. That's so good. Yeah. And I would make Cinderella gay okay <laughs> and she she would wear pants in the. okay love yeah, it she she would and she would be an icon
0: yeah and
1: she would not she would run from the castle like the same thing would happen where she drops her slipper but then it breaks because it's glass yeah and then she goes and finds her her lesbian
0: wife okay I like that yeah I like that take I think that I would maybe rewrite I don't know there's a lot that I really liked as a kid I was a big fan of once upon a time Yeah. I really liked Red Riding Hood and Rapunzel. Okay. So maybe I would rewrite one of those? Question mark? But if I have a better answer, I think I'll put it in the Spotify. Yeah, I'll put mine in there because
1: that was just what came to my head.
0: Bonus question. Oh, okay. Who is your favorite Disney princess? Hmm. I think it's changed a lot over the time. Mm -hmm. As a kid. Oh, yeah. Like, who is it currently? I really like Merida okay good answer yeah that's a good answer i love
1: I really, she was so
0: underrated
1: i yeah i'm not a big fan of her movie but okay. i love the fact that she went out with her horse and would shoot arrows yeah. and she didn't need no man yeah she was like
0: i'm gonna go do my own thing yeah. i really love merida i it, liked merida because like it was very empowering when yeah. it came out and also like i liked the spookiness of the story it's like, good it was kind of in the willow of the wisp yeah it was kind of like i need to rewatch yeah. it i think that i would have to say that jasmine was probably my favorite okay
1: one. okay that was i also probably... really love
0: tiana and mulan oh my
1: god i forgot about tiana <laughs> and
0: Mulan! oh
1: sorry mulan oh my god am i dumb mulan's my second favorite okay i love mulan yeah. oh my god what am i talking about yeah no i think mulan's my favorite and then oh. merida's second but okay. i love both.
0: yeah no they were both really cool why
1: would I? I completely blanked on Mulan because that's my favorite movie ever. Yeah. I love that movie, yeah. so good. And
0: Lisha, <laughs> hello, <laughs> hello, love that man. So yeah, that's all we have this week. I really enjoyed doing this episode. Yeah, lots of fun. Um, thank you for listening. Yeah, and yeah. we'll we'll see you next
1: week. I don't know what the episode will be about, but it'll be a surprise. We'll find out. Yeah.
0: Thanks for watching. Bye.